Hey everyone, my online course on the rehabilitation of the fitness athlete with Dan Pope is on sale this week. If you want to work with higher level fitness athletes and help people get back into the gym after an injury, this is the course for you. Head to MikeRandall.com slash fitathlete to learn more and sign up this week. On this episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show, we talk about incorporating both isolated and functional strength training into one program. We talk about how we communicate and collaborate between fitness and physical therapy at our facility and some recommendations for you. And lastly, we talk about the first rib and whether or not it can actually elevate. The Ask Mike Reynolds Show. Helping people feel better, move better, Perform better. Welcome back, everybody, to the latest episode of the Ask Mike Reynolds Show. I'm up at Champion PT and Performance up in Boston, Mass. We have another good collection of our PTs and strength coaches for another great episode. We have Dewesh Podell, we have Christy Zermulin, Nick Esposito, Dan Pope. Uh, Dave Tilly is not with us. Lenny McCreen is not with us. I feel like we have to, like in memory, we have to add them. Mike Scudito and Kiefer Lamy. So everybody's here kind of answering some questions. We've got a nice variety of questions for you again. Our students here, again, from the University of Utah, Matt Berserkenstock, Berserker, Berserk, I don't know. I think Berserker. that's perfect. Berserkenstock. <laughs> yeah. I like Berserkenstock. Berserkenstock from, from, yeah, we already went through that. And Hailstorm <laughs> Haley Brinkman from the University of North Dakota. Take it away, guys. Let's let's get another great episode. All right, we got Kobe from L.A. Kobe from L.A. This is the Again, second time awesome. we've had a Kobe from L.A. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, if you have patellar tendonitis, it's not. <laughs> um, would you recommend Europe for stem cell? So, Kobe, do you guys think this is Kobe from L.A. or do you think it's Kobe from like Louisiana? I think it's, I think it's the real one. Kobe. Kobe? I think it's, I think it's the real one. <laughs> Definitely, it's right? Kobe being Bryant. All right. Kobe being Bryant. All right. Kobe, what do we got? All right. The seated knee extension machine gets a lot of flack for not being functional. However, in knee injuries, wouldn't it be helpful for restoring and encouraging knee extension? Also, do you guys use it during ACL rehab? All right, good question. So, open kinetic chain, we'll kind of break this down to lots of, well, there's lots of mini questions there. Open kinetic chain knee extension and isolated strengthening exercise gets a lot of heat for not being functional. Why don't we talk about that for a second a little bit is, you know, if somebody's post-op or post-injury or something like that, they actually have a deficit in strength, is it okay to do isolated strengthening. What's that, Dan, you want to start from the PT perspective, oh, maybe? Oh, I think this is interesting, too, and I, I maybe had a weird bias going into, uh, uh, as a physical therapist in a PT school, because I was a strength coach for a while, where we all poo-poo on an exercise, like it's really stupid. Um, it's probably one of the most evidence-based <laughs> knee pain exercises out there, right? There's a lot of evidence to show it's effective for knee pain. Um, so yeah, I don't use it a ton personally, uh, but I can definitely see where it fits into a rehab program. Um, it's definitely a good option if you need some strength in the quad. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we used to have a knee extension machine at some of my past places, and we used it all the time with our with our patients. Right? It's um, I think restoring your strength if you're weak is quite functional, right? <laughs> you know, when you think of it that way. But what do you, maybe strength coach perspective? I don't know who wants to jump in. What do you guys think about? You know, is, where's the you know where do we put in isolated strengthening versus just function? Like, is there you know where's that blend? I don't know. Kiefer, you want to jump on that sure. one? Um, I mean, I think from a strength conditioning standpoint, kind of like your squats and lunges are always going to take like a bulk of the priority as far as strengthening goes. But especially speaking from my own experience with somebody that just came back from a from like a 
a knee injury, um, it's pretty hard to mimic the difficulty that you can get from an open chain exercise near end range knee extension there. Um, so for that, I found that it was super helpful as an accessory movement for me to help build back some hypertrophy as well as kind of like strength and comfort in different ranges. I like that. Yeah. And look, if you just rely on, you know, squats, deadlift, stuff like that, that's, you know, double leg type things. I mean, if you have a weak link on one side, you're probably right. going to compensate a little yeah. bit. Right. So yeah. What do you guys think, Nick, Christy, what do you guys think? I don't know. I mean, I think I probably, I mean, I don't have obviously <laughs> experience, I guess, working with people coming from or this close, like where maybe we're working with people that are coming out of physical therapy, um, you know, in the strength side of things. I feel like I would hope that doing functional stuff like squatting, lunging, deadlifting, I would hope people would be able to kind of start doing some of those exercises coming out of PT and maybe isolated stuff is more your guys's right feel sure yeah that's just my and we, we we do that quite a bit if you look at our strength and conditioning and kind of like our system how we do things like we work on isolated weakness quite a bit with isolated exercises right but then we integrate it with functional exercises as well right so uh, this is like one of those typical like you know type of questions right what's better like isolated strengthening versus functional strengthening and i i, I think it's just going to come down to always like why do we have to choose right. right why don't we just put them both together and let's do them together and, and that, that's really how we do it if if you're ignoring a weakness and you're just going straight to like a lunge for example or or two like squat or something like that you're definitely going to limit the amount of strength you could potentially get with that i'm pretty sure the knee extension exercise is one of the best exercises to to strengthen and hypertrophy your knee <laughs> right so if, if you look at it right like it's it's a great exercise so we do do it we do do a post-op and you know there's some old school restrictions like 90 to 40 with the acls that you know i think you could argue the biomechanical literature is is you know doesn't show it as much but you know we do it post-op and then we try to progress and i, I don't know i wouldn't i wouldn't fear it i guess I, you know don't choose between functional or strength if somebody has isolated weakness you can isolate and strength it that's kind of how we do it so nice what's next all right we have kenny from spokane washington hey everyone after a patient has reached your criteria for discharge how do you communicate with fitness professionals outside of your facility about the patient's needs? He's also offering bonus points for addressing privacy. Ooh, we get bonus points for privacy. All right, so well, PTs, this is more. So PTs, how do we communicate? Well, not outside, but insider. How do we communicate to our coaches? And then maybe from the coaches, why don't you give uh, give us some tips that you would like to know from PTs? Maybe like what what info would you want to know? But but what do we do? How do we guys do it here? You want to take this one, Mike? Um, how do we communicate with coaches? Yeah, or like, yeah, so okay. somebody's transitioning from PT strength to fitness. Yeah. Different, uh, different types strength of coaches. Strength coaches, yeah, okay. fitness people. Um, I think what, what we do really well here is when we feel like a client's ready to get out into the gym, um, we have a couple different options, but one thing we can do is we write a joint program together with the strength coaches. So I've sat down with Kiefer a couple times, um, and he's asked me questions. I've asked him questions, and we've kind of come up with our joint opinion um, on what this person could be doing in the gym, um, something like that. If you don't have that luxury, I think, uh, I won't speak for Dan, but I think he makes a lot of Google Docs with his patients. Um, uh. Well, <clears throat> I guess one of the big things that we do is uh, I try not to take people away from the things that they yeah. love unless they absolutely need to. So from a fitness perspective, I see a ton of people that like, let's say CrossFit or Olympic weightlifting or powerlifting. The last thing they want me to tell them is I need you to stop what you're doing. Right, right. right. So one of the absolute biggest things that I do is I try to continue with their training in a way that doesn't hurt them further and they can make progress over the course of time. 
a lot of these individuals are working with coaches, so a lot of times in-house. So if someone comes in, they're already training at, uh, at Champion, right? And then they come in because they've gotten hurt. What we do is we do an evaluation, we figure out what's going on, and we kind of figure out if they need a lot more physical therapy, if we need to back off a little bit more from the training perspective, or if they can continue with modifications. Uh, what I do specifically with a lot of uh, CrossFit coaches, I have a Google Doc, and I basically have all the exercises lifted out that may occur in a CrossFit class. We rank these on a scale of 0 to 10, right? And if it's below about 8 out of 10, we say we need to modify these, these are modifications. So what happens is that when the person goes to the CrossFit box, they're not necessarily harming themselves further by doing too much. They have modifications. The coaches know exactly what's good and what's not. And I put a, like a little kind of love notes here, like make sure hips go back and knees are, you know, whatever. Um, but I just make sure that we, we modify appropriately and we continue having them exercise as much as possible. Um, that's the same thing I think we do here. We just, we work together and it's, it's one integrated unit. It's not like, okay, you're done your rehab. Now you go fitness. You know, we try to keep it going. I like it. It's time. Co- collaborate. Talk about some things like, Hey, focus on these areas. And that's how I try to say it when I talk to coaches, just focus on these areas. I don't say, Hey, this is how you do your job. I say, focus on this. I need them to get more agility work. I need them to get more power, right? And versus do this exercise is then there's, you know, it's, it, you know, you want to, you want the expertise of the person that, that, you know, is writing the program to actually come out into your program. So it's, it's collaborate a little bit, right? And make sure you have an open mind. One thing I, I'd say from the PT, PT perspective is if it is an outside kind of place and you don't have that relationship with the person, sometimes what I'll do is I'll just disseminate the information to the person and just say, here's my recommendations. I'd say, you know, here's what you're currently dealing with. Here's my recommendations on areas of focus and areas to avoid. And I'll give that to them and I'll let them disseminate the information how they please. Because sometimes people just don't want to be told what to do, right? But if it's coming from, you know, the patient, the client, and they literally say like, hey, here's the things that I need to work on. I think sometimes it works. But, I, you know, I would, I would, I would definitely say, hey, tell, tell your coach, your personal trainer to call me, though. I'd love to talk about it. So coaching-wise, quickly, what do, you, what do you guys think? Like, what's, what's some information that you want to know? from the PT perspective yeah I think one of the bigger things that I've seen like especially you know in my short time here working with the PTs is their ability I mean they've been working with them in the physical therapy setting so they kind of have a better understanding of how that person might perceive an exercise or they might learn an exercise so that'd be good to know you know whether they're visual whether they're more you know they need kinesthetic awareness they need something to you know help learn a different exercise out there so as we start programming newer things we can have a better understanding of how they're going to relate those exercises. That's great. Yeah, you even know them as a person, right? Yeah. As a person, they're going to like, hey, this isn't going to be an exercise that they jive with. I like that. What do you got, Christy? I would say, I mean, it is, it's just a collaboration the whole time. I feel like if, you know, we can learn from you guys how, what people might need in terms of, you know, a movement standpoint, like what they need um, to move functionally, you know, where their deficiencies are. And I think collaborating, you know, starting in here and bringing it out there, I don't think it gets better than that. I think we're lucky in that sense that we have you guys right here. Um, so just oh, using that. So lucky. Duesh, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Like, I mean, you've been, you've been here, uh, you know, a lot longer. Like, what's the information that, you know, you get from us that you think is impactful? Yeah, I mean, I think it's like the constant, like, updates as far as, like, how the uh, patient's progressing through their rehab process. Um, so work with a couple like post-op patients, so just kind of knowing like how far along they are and how well they're improving in here. To kind of based on my programming out there um, is definitely helpful. I like that. So that's a good addition to collaboration is then continuous collaboration yeah. communication. I think that that's actually a really good one too. I like that. Keith, you got anything to add? I know we had a lot of great stuff. 
No, I would agree. Just kind of piggybacking off of him, it's it's you know knowing where they've been with you guys, what we can continue to progress, and what might be limited. And then you know we're lucky here, but having the opportunity to continually talk with you guys, whether it's every two weeks, every four weeks, to say like, all right, like they did they did great with this. Like, what's our next step here? Or hey, they were having some pain with this. Like, how can I maybe modify this or back it off? And I think that that's super important. I like that. Yeah, just have a conversation. I think that's the right. way to go. So, and I will take a stab on the bonus points, right? We had some bonus points for privacy. Just ask the person, hey, do you mind if I talk to your coach, your trainer, you know, whoever, your parents? I want, my parents is a bad example. You have to talk to the parents. <laughs> but, but, like, hey, do you mind if I talk to this person? So, our athletes, I say, you know, with their coaches at, and their sport coach, I say, hey, do you mind if I send your coach an update on you or something like, <laughs> something like that? Um, I, you just ask them. And I, I think everybody welcomes that, right? So, you know, you'll, you'll find some people that love the collaboration and some people that like don't love it as much in terms of you know they don't like to communicate and collaborate uh, and I just think as a professional just seek out people in your community that are fun to work with right and that want to combine and put their heads together I think that would be a good approach so good is that three one more oh one more, one more. Sorry. All right. what do you got Matt Chad from California does the first rib elevate an orthopedic surgeon in town told me that it's that it is theoretically impossible for the first rib to elevate and get stuck and has no bearing on limited shoulder motion. How do you get an ortho surgeon to grasp, grasp the concept that the first rib stops the motion of the clavicle if elevated when performing shoulder flexion? Uh, this will actually be a quick question. So first rib elevation. Uh, it's funny, by the way, that your question is how do you get the surgeon to understand it? Because maybe we're not right. Um, I don't know. What, what, how about I'll take a stab to start and then you guys can jump in, but I'm not sure the first rib elevates either. You know, we talk about that. It's like, man, anatomically, how on earth does that thing elevate? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. What I do feel though, and we see this quite a bit, is not necessarily that the first rib elevates, but your shoulder girdle depresses, right? And then it appears like your first rib is elevated, but your shoulder girdle is just depressed. And this is actually a good question, especially as this group here, because I think that really changes your perspective on stuff, right? Are you going to go smash it with a barbell? Isn't that uh, something you could do the Google (laughs) with on the YouTube right now and try to smash your first rib with a barbell, right? Well, the issue is probably not your elevated first rib. It's a depressed shoulder girl and and maybe a a side-bent thorax, for example. So um, I, I actually think that was kind of an easier question, but what do you guys, anybody have anything to add on that? All right. Oh boy. I'm All right. Some. This is good. <laughs> well, I I just this is recent and just kind of for me I'm I'm still trying to wrap my head around this right because you guys taught the CRLF test basically here go down what happens is I guess one of the transverse process comes forward gets caught on the first rib can't do this right um, CRLF but um, to me I was like yeah it doesn't make sense can be a lot of things that can limit that motion like why would it be the first rib but. In this Medbridge course with thoracic outlet syndrome, they were showing radiographic evidence that people that were having trouble with that test had a higher first rib. Um, In comparison to what? How they measure it? That's a thing. I don't know. If because story. if I side bend to the right, my left side is technically higher. Could be right. Right. Or if my shoulder girdle is depressed, then my right shoulder. So, I, you know. Uh, I have a hard time wrapping my head around it, too. I don't, I mean, I don't know the answer. We're just kind of like talking. You or know, can but, we change that, right? Whoa. Yeah, that's the other thing. Maybe it is elevated, but what are you going to do about it? Is that going to right? Is that going to change things? So, what do you guys say? I mean, if you had hypertrophy of things like the scalenes or something like that, would that elevate it? Maybe I'll treat it. Like I do it in like thoracic outlet patients. I'll treat the scalenes. I'll treat the first rib. It'll a lot of times prove improve the CRLF. I don't know what I'm doing, 
you know, or why it's happening. But I'll do it. Yeah, no, and, and we work on that quite a bit. I would say I, I, I spend as much time on, on just, you know, thorax positioning more than anything, right? So, like, think about it. Like, scapula thoracic is just the way the scapula sits on the thorax, right? So, if your thorax has some anatomical just, you know, positioning things and your thor, you know, your shoulder girdle is going to sit a little lower, you know, yeah. I tend to focus on that. Lumbo-pelvic, thorax position and then and, and then just jump right to it. This is the same thing as, like, talking about doing, like, a joint mobe on a joint, right? And if you're just jumping right to a joint mobe without assessing soft tissue and positional stuff and alignment or something like that and you're just torquing it more from the strength and conditioning side you're just slapping mo- mobility drills on somebody and just trying to really just like you know crush ankle dorsiflexion or something like that if you don't know if they're in good alignment or they have just that right positioning in there and you're doing that you're just cranking on it you're just kind of like banging your head against the wall quite a bit right so I, I think it's more about just assuring that you have that good position and then reassess it right so then reassess it from there but um, I don't know I mean, yeah it's a, that's a weird one it's tough I don't think we have a definitive answer for you but I would say keep an open mind which we've talked about quite a bit but keep an open mind maybe your orthopedic surgeon isn't wrong here maybe he isn't necessarily right we don't have to necessarily convince them of a change of opinion maybe we have to take a step back and think uh, if there is some validity to that statement and I, I will say I'm, I'm leaning more towards the shoulder girdle is depressed versus the the uh, first rib is elevated in, in my perspective so yeah yeah good student wise did you guys learn anything different I mean I assume you didn't, but like anything unique that you learned in school recently about this stuff? Especially with the elevation, that's interesting to me. Yeah, you know when I kind of like we, not... we kind of fluffed over that part of the question. Yeah, I don't know if that limits clavicle motion. It's the last thing I'd go to to try to improve overhead motion. It's not like first on the list at all. Right, it's like one hundredth on the list. <laughs> yeah, to, of things that could decrease overhead elevation. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, I agree with you. I gotcha. I said. I wasn't sure if anything like you guys had anything new that you guys kind of talked about, or just the standard. We definitely still cover like mobilizations, manipulations, and like multiple positions to if you think someone's first rib is stuck, this is how you could treat it. But um, we don't really talk about the theory on why it's stuck or yeah. why it's moving, why it's not moving, or what's causing that relative change in motion. Just more technique based. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think we talked about it in terms of maybe some thoracic outlet stuff and then. I feel like we touched on first rib mobilization to improve shoulder flexion, but I never felt like they gave great reasons for why you would do that. Yeah, it's like on the list and you're just learning yeah. techniques and yeah. stuff. All right, I was just checking. I wasn't sure if there was anything new that we're missing on there. So, you know, I'd say keep an open mind. You probably have a bunch of other things to, to work on there. That's probably like a low, uh, not a low hanging fruit. That's, you know, should be something in, in, you know, your clinical focus, I guess, would be how I'd say it. So awesome. Nice. Well, another great episode. Thanks so much, guys. Head to uh, MikeReynold.com. Click on that podcast link and you can fill out the form to ask us more questions. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify, and we will see you all on the next episode. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you have a question you'd like us to answer, head to MikeReynold.com slash podcast and fill out the form to submit your question. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And please share this with your friends to help spread the word. It would really mean so much to us. Please check out all my online courses, articles, newsletter, and more at MikeReynold.com. There's always a ton of great perks for my newsletter subscribers. And be sure to check for my other podcast, the Sports Physical Therapy Podcast, where I go deep into topics and interview leaders within our field. See you on the next episode.